couple things I want to share this morning from that conference. So here's a guy who studies our brain, studies brain patterns, and what he found was that for people who spend at least one hour on their phone, one hour on video games, one hour digitally doing anything, it's like taking one line of cocaine. And so that's not reading, writing, that's not, you know, studying, that's not if you're typing. When you're engaging in something that's entertaining, it does something to your brain. And so if you actually look at your brain, and he has the graphics, his name's Brad, Digital Cocaine's his book, but he has the graphics to prove one hour of social media. If you're on your phone, Facebook, for one hour straight, it's like doing one line of cocaine. If you play video games for one hour, playing video games for one hour, and how many of us know people who play video games for one hour? You know, Joel was mentioning in the old days, right? I mean, when we were younger, it was Atari and Pac-Man and um, Pole Position and Paperboy. <coughs> video games, they're a little different, a little more boring than what they are today. But literally video games, and so it showed that young man and those electronics that were going into his veins. And so if you look at a brain of someone who did a line of cocaine, and you look at a kid's brain who played one hour of video games, it's identical. And here's, here's the worst part of it all. The brain is absolutely at its worst when a person is, is addicted to pornography. So people who look at porn, the brain holes that you actually put in your brain, it is, it is horrific. And you are absolutely destroying your brain. And what happens is, uh, for people who are addicted to porn, and people who are addicted to video games and addicted to digital devices, what happens is it cuts off a sensor in your brain. And so as, as you, the more you get into video games, the more you get into pornography, what it does is it's going to cut off absolutely all pleasure. It's going to cut off things in your brain to where it doesn't really function properly. And so I just want to encourage you this morning, if you guys ever want to have a good read, Digital Cocaine, his name's Brad. And, um, but I want to encourage this, this man, you know, as he, this guy travels around the, around the world, he, um, he went to a school and during the day he asked the students, how many of you students play video games, you know, like after homework, because you get your homework done first, right? You clean your room, do your homework, and then you play video games, right? So of course, all the kids in the, in the auditorium raised their hands. Yes, we all play video games at night. So that night he went back and he talked to the parents and he talked to the parents and he said to the parents, how many of you let your kids play video games after they do their homework? So seven, seven adults out of 200 raised their hand. So then what he did was he goes, well, you know what? That's not exactly what your kid said this morning. So then he took a picture of every single kid that was in there, you know, a few hundred kids, and every single one of them had their hands raised that they play on their phone or on their video game every single night. So then he says to the parents, let's be honest. Don't lie about it. You know, we don't ever get better as people by lying about what we do. And, and to be honest, you know, I know for us, we have five kids and they play video games. And so for me, what I saw in the last couple of days was definitely an eye-opener. But it does start with me, right? It does start with me and my wife, Kim. And it does start with us as adults. And realizing that one hour of social media is just as bad as one hour of video games. So if you're going to tell your kids to get off the video game, you may have to start by cutting off the social media. 
right? We as adults have to set the example. We have to be the ones. And, and there's no perfect parent, right? How many of us know that none of us in here, there's, there's close to perfection. That's my wife in the front row. But for the rest of us, most of us in here are not perfect. We all make mistakes. I make mistakes. We all make mistakes, right? And so uh, we have bad parent days. We have bad husband days, bad mom days, right? All of us make those mistakes. But it's what we do with that mistake. Am I going to choose to be better? Am I going to choose to grow from this? Or what do we do? This morning... If you have your Bibles, we're going to go to um, John chapter 21, starting in verse 1. My title this morning is called The Sunday After. Turn to your neighbor and say it's The Sunday After. The Sunday After. John chapter 21, starting in verse 1. And I am reading now the New Living Translation this morning. It says, Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there, Simon Peter. Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, the two other disciples. And Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out of the boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. So he called out to them, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw at your net on the right side of the boat, and you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't even haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Verse 7. Then the disciple Jesus loved, which is John, he said to Peter, it is the Lord. It's the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard it, that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had taken it off for work. He jumped into the water, and he headed to the shore. The others stayed there with the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore, for they were only about 100 yards from shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them. Turn to your neighbor and say, yes, breakfast is waiting for me. Fish cooking over a charcoal fire, some halibut and some bread. Bring some of the fish you just caught, Jesus said, in our last few verses here. Verse 11. So Simon Peter went aboard and he dragged the net to shore. There were 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them the bread and the fish, and this was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. So this morning, as we paint the picture of this scripture, it says that Peter turns to everybody and says, I'm going fishing. I am going to go fishing. How many of us here love to go fishing? Now, we don't really know exactly why Peter wanted to go fishing. You have to remember this in context, right? Jesus, who they were with three and a half years they saw miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. They saw the healing crusades. They saw all kinds of stuff, right? They saw this man. They lived close with him. They walked on water. And then Jesus died. And then they had no idea what was going to happen. Jesus rose from the dead. He appeared to them twice. Now he's appeared to them. This is the third time. But for them, they're sitting there and they're waiting, right? And at some point, they don't really know what they're doing. Right? So Peter looks around and he says, you know what? I'm going fishing. And so we don't know if he's going fishing because he's hungry. Most of us this morning, how many of us are hungry? Jesus, we don't know if they decided to go fishing because they needed some money. And how many of us know we need money to pay our bills, right? We don't know 
if maybe they decided to go fishing because they were bored. We don't know if they decided to go fishing because Jesus was gone again and they didn't know what to do. Maybe, maybe they decided to go fishing because how many of us know that when we're searching for someone, when we're looking for someone, when we want something, sometimes when God isn't answering us enough quickly, what do we do? We just go back to what we know, right? For Peter and the boys, what did they know? They knew fishing, right? And so while they're away in this waiting period, they're in this bubble, so to speak, and they're waiting on Jesus, waiting on what to do, trying to figure out what to do. Jesus was gone again. And think about this. For the disciples who saw Jesus die, they saw Jesus after he rose from the grave. Jesus appeared to him once. He appeared to him twice. And it's back and forth. And I have to think mentally it's starting to take a toll on the guys because they're saying, I'm seeing Jesus and I'm not seeing Jesus, right? Jesus is here. Jesus isn't here. And so they're in this almost maybe in a mental breakdown kind of state. And they don't know what to do. And for a lot of us sometimes, you know, we have, how many of us have had great God experiences? How many of us have had moments where God has just spoken so clearly, like this is something that he wants me to do? And we know that in the Great Commission, he tells all of us, go and make disciples of all the nations. So we know that for all of us, we can hang on that one thing, go and make disciples. But sometimes while we're waiting, we can relate with the disciples because they're here and they're not sure what to do. So they say, Peter, and it's Peter, say it's Peter. And he says, let's go fishing. For the rest of the guys, how many of us have had a big brother? And how many of us know that big brothers sometimes like to boss around everybody else, right? How many of us know that big brothers like to beat up everybody else, right? And so Peter kind of was that big brother to everybody and he tells them, I'm going fishing, let's go. And so the rest of the guys, at the beginning of this, Peter was the man who kind of led the charge. We know in Acts 2.14, down the road from this story, it says, Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles, and he shouted to the crowd, listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews, residents of Jerusalem, make no mistake about this. The very, very first message preached about Jesus Christ was Peter, right? After Jesus rose, who did the first preaching? Who did the first gospel message? It was Peter. How did Peter do it? It says that Peter stepped forward. You know, today it takes leadership. Today it takes leadership. Today more than ever, we need great leaders. And we need great leaders in the gospel, in the kingdom. You know, it starts with men. It starts with us. It starts with ladies. We must lead. Peter was the leader and he inspired the other disciples. You know, how many of us, I had a uh, sales meeting on Friday, and one of the new catch things for them that they say is that every athlete needs a coach, and so every salesperson needs a coach, right? And so if you were to think of professional athletes for a minute, how many of us know a professional athlete that has a lot of talent, but his team stinks, right? How many of us know professional athletes that they're good, and they have some good players, but they don't win enough games? It takes a good athlete with a good coach, a winning team. And why does it take that? Because every athlete needs direction. Every athlete needs accountability. Every athlete needs to grow in their abilities. Every athlete needs to make they keep, keep their conditioning up. And every athlete needs inspiration. And so as you look at athletes, and you think about that for a minute, and we think about Peter, let's turn to us. As Christians, as people, 
every heart needs a savior. Every heart needs a savior. And if we were to just think about the words that I said for Peter, for coach, for being a coach, don't we as people need direction sometimes? Don't we as people need accountability sometimes? Don't we as people need to grow, continue to grow as Christians? Don't we as people need to have conditioning in life, know that we're here for the long haul? And how many of us at times definitely need inspiration? Peter was the man who took charge. He was the leader, but he had a great coach. Who was his coach? Jesus Christ, right? He had three and a half years with the coach, and so he learned from him. And he was the first one to step and, and be that lead man. And so this morning, I want to encourage you, every one of you, you lead in some capacity. You lead, whether it's your home, whether it's in your job, wherever you do, wherever you are, you lead in some capacity. And we, just like Peter, we need coaches, just like athletes. We need to be encouraged. We need to be inspired. We need to be held accountable. We need to lead. And today, more than ever, in 2022, we have to lead. You know, 2 Timothy 3.16 says this, All scripture is inspired by God. It's useful to teach us what is true, to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. So every, every one of us, one of the greatest coaches is this right here. It's the word of God. And it's reading the word of God. And it's reading, and it's reading, and it's reading, and it's reading. So for the disciples, they kind of have a bummer night. And to say that they didn't know what they were doing, they didn't know why they were fishing, they went out fishing anyway, but you know what happened? Absolutely nothing. Sometimes when we take our lives and we try to make something happen, when we have to force a situation, when we're trying to force God's hand, what happens just like them, fishing all night, what happens? Nothing. So Jesus says to them as they fished all night, their hair was raggedy, their hair was, you know, afroed out, it was sticking out in all the places, they were tired, they were frustrated, they were stinky. Jesus says to them, hey, why don't you throw your net on the right side? And you know when he, when he said that, it is completely something that you wouldn't do. You only fished on the left side because you steered the boat on the right side. You never ever throw the net on the right side, it is only thrown on the left. So you know what he's telling them to do? Something they've never done. So Jesus gives them command, hey, throw your net on the right side. What? They're thinking, that, well, who is this guy? This is so foolish. Does he know we're professional fishermen? He didn't need to tell us what to do. We know what to do. Throw your nets on the right. Just like in life, how many of us know there's a right way to do things, and there's a wrong way to do things. There's a right way to get up in the morning, and there's a right way to have good habits in the morning that help our day. So Brad, who spoke at this conference, he was a guy who uh, got diabetes at a young age, and they told him, like, you have a very severe case. Like, this is really, if you live another 20 years, it'll be a miracle. And so for this guy, and he's probably about, I don't know, he's really not that tall, he's short. I don't know why I had to throw that in there, but anyway, he was a short guy. But he shows this video of himself, <coughs> and he is this buff man who can do push-ups and push himself up off the ground two feet on the blocks. So he goes down on the ground, does a push-up, and he pushes himself up in the air to land on a two-foot block. 
And he said, you know what I realized at a young age when they told me I had diabetes? I needed to do something different and I needed to add discipline to my life and I had to change my diet. If I was gonna live longer than 20 years, then I needed to change my diet, I needed to change what I do and I need to have discipline. How many of us have discipline this morning? How many of us can say no to the very thing that we want, right? How many of us can say, I need to get up? There is a right way to do it, just like there is a right way to throw the nets, right? We don't throw them on the right. You throw the nets on the left. But Jesus told them, when it comes to God, throw it on the right side. And this morning, God wants you to hear something. There is something just on the right that is just for you, but it's not where you're looking. It's not what you're thinking. You need to listen because it's only when we hear the voice of Jesus do we find this blessing. Jesus said in Matthew 21, 22, he said, I tell you the truth, if you have faith and don't doubt, you can do things like this and much, much more. You can even say to the mountain, may you be lifted up, thrown into the sea, and it will happen. You can pray for anything, and if you have faith, you will receive it. And so the disciples here, remember, they spent three and a half years under Jesus from the greatest coach ever. But what is he doing after he died and rose again? He's still teaching. He's still coaching. And so in this lesson, he's teaching them to have faith. Do things that you don't want to do. Step out where you don't want to step out. Be courageous when you don't feel like being courageous. Do something different than you want to do, than your body wants to do. Proverbs 3, 5, we all know this one. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek God in all that you do, and he will show you which path to take. How do we advance in the kingdom of God? Stop listening to yourself and listen only to the word of God. How? How do we know? How do we gain wisdom? How do we gain understanding? How do we be who God's made us to be? We have to read the Bible. We got to open it up so that we know what it says. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. We're not going to trust him unless we know him. Right? We're not going to trust him unless we know his voice. John 10 talks about Jesus being the great shepherd. And he talks to the sheep and he says, you're not going to know my voice if you don't know me. Right? How can you know Jesus if you don't know who he is? You know, today more than ever we have people who want to redefine life. They want to redefine gender. They want to redefine truth. They want to redefine the government. They want to redefine everything. And so it's creeped into the Christian gospel as well where people want to redefine even the word of God. And I'm going to take this, which sounds good to me here, and I'm going to mix it with what I feel over here. And that's my truth, right? This is my truth now. We can't let the world redefine us. We can't let anyone redefine what the word of God says. Trust in the Lord. As the disciples are here, this last lesson before Jesus goes, he's teaching them how to have faith. And he's teaching to trust in him with all their heart not depending on their knowledge, right? Not depending on what we know, not depending on what we learn. That's what we love even about, how about Apostle Paul who said, I'm one of the greatest men who've ever lived, but now I have considered all that rubbish because I found something better and I found Jesus. Everything, Apostle Paul was awesome and amazing and he did so many awesome things as a man. He accomplished so many great things. He was wise when he spoke that the ground shook, right? Because he studied, he knew all these things. But when he found Jesus, he said, you know what? Everything I learned up, at, up to this point is rubbish. It means nothing to me because Jesus is way better than everything. John, turn to your neighbor and say, of course it's John. 
John turns to Peter and he says, Peter, it's the Lord. There's always one in the bunch who sees Jesus first. You know, there's always one in the bunch who gets the first revelation. There's always one in the bunch, and it was, of course, the one, the disciple they said that he loved, right, that Jesus loved, right? So John, just throw that out there again, the disciple who Jesus loved, the first one to get the revelation. And you know why, I wonder? I think it's because he always was looking for it. I think no matter how many times Jesus appeared and no matter how many times Jesus was with them and then he wasn't with them, I think John was the one who was always looking, always waiting, always expecting. Matthew 5, 8 says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will what? See God. And if you are looking, and I love the language that Jesus used there, blessed means fully satisfied times to the max, right? If you want to be a fully satisfied type of person, if you truly want peace, joy, happiness, all of those things, he said, blessed are the pure, blessed who look for me, because they're going to find me. And John was the one who was looking. But even though it was John who was the first one looking, who was the first one dressed and ready to, to go get him? It's good old Pete, right? It's good old Pete. So even though that John had the revelation, think about this, even though it's John who had the revelation, who was the one who did something about it? It was Peter. Peter put his coat on, and you have to think, why would he put his coat on? He's 300 feet from the shore, right? And if you're going to jump into the lake, I would think you would leave your coat in the boat, right? If you already partially undressed from working and fishing all night, why would you put on a coat to have to swim 300 miles? How many of us know if I'm going to swim 300, sorry, 300 feet? Yeah. <laughs> They're not doing the Ironman competition. Thank you, babe, because you're right. They weren't doing the Ironman in this competition. But it still was 300 feet, right? Which is how many of us know who in here could swim 300 feet right now? There's a few of us, right? At least once, right? But maybe not twice. But you know why he put his coat on, I think? Because he had no idea what Jesus was going to do. Jesus, one time, when he's walking on the, the water in the middle of the night, and they're saying, Lord, is that you? And, and Jesus said, yeah, it's me. And he said, can I come? And, and he, Peter gets out, and he walks on water. Right? And we know that story. And we, we love Peter because he was the one who was willing to take the first step. He was willing to step out of the boat. He was willing to try and have faith. At least try, right? And how many of us, if you ever go and watch kids play any sport, right? How many of us have ever watched kids play sports? And you watch kids play sports, and some of them you're like, just try, right? Just try to, you know, shoot. Just try to pass. Just try to do this. And I wonder for how many Christians God's saying, it's the exact same thing. I'm just asking you to try. I'm just trying to ask you to step out a little bit. And so I think for Peter, when he put his coat on, he's thinking, maybe he's going to tell me I can walk on water again, right? I'm going to get ready because I don't know what he's going to do. God is, he does things that are unexpected. He wants to surprise us. He wants to do things that are beyond us so that our faith has a chance to grow. But for poor Peter, he had to swim 300 feet with a coat on, not 300 miles, 300 feet with a coat on, but he did it. And he was the first one. John had the revelation. Peter had the action. You know, and sometimes in relationships, that's what we need. You know, in a husband-wife relationship, 
we need somebody who has a revelation, someone who has a sense and has faith. My wife has way more faith than I do. She prays and she fully believes what she's praying for. She is going to receive it, right? And some, sometimes maybe I'm the first one who will take a little more action and maybe I'll jump out and do some, some stupid things. But in relationships, it takes two people, and it's the balance that God has. And so you see the balance of the friendship there. There was one who had the revelation and one who had the action. And so they balance each other out. In your relationships, look for the balance. We're here to balance one another. I feel bad for the other guys because you know what they had to do? They had to stay on the boat and watch Peter again get ahead of them. Peter swam. They had to row the boat with 150-some fish to the shore. And they're probably thinking to themselves, why does Peter have all the fun, right? Why does Peter get to do this? Why does Peter get to do that? But as Peter gets to shore, Jesus says, breakfast is ready. Breakfast is ready. For the men in the, in the story here, they went fishing because they were hungry. How many of us know that we all have an appetite? But the question is, what do you feed your appetite? What do you feed your appetite? Again, I just came from a men's conference where the pastor there, Pastor Brad, shared a few things that are really, really bad for your brain. Too much di digital entertainment puts holes in your brain. It nulls the senses and pleasure. Pornography puts massive holes in your brain. It does worse things to your brain than anything else. Anything else. So all of us, how many of us know as men we have appetites, right? Some of us men can way out eat everybody else. But there are a few ladies as well that can eat out there too, right? There's a few ladies that can knock it down. We all have an appetite. You have a physical appetite, you have a spiritual appetite. The question is what are you feeding the appetite? What are you feeding yourself with? For me, so I've been a Christian for about 20 um, 26 years, fully Christian, because I grew up in the church, 26 years. And some of us, and I learned that, you know, for me in this past year, I needed to make a few changes in what I was eating. And so one of the things that I had to do was, there was a few different pastors that I have on podcasts and I'd listen to on a regular basis. But I realized that, you know what, I really wasn't really getting fed the way that I used to get fed, and I needed to do something different. And so I started listening to different podcasts. I started listening to leadership podcasts. I started listening to just different kinds of people, right? What did that have to do? It made me be disciplined to really listen to people. Because I am one of those, like, ADD types where I have a hard time sitting still. I have a hard time, you know, listening for a long period of time. You know, I was one of those kids that barely made it out of high school, but thank God that I did. I didn't read. I didn't do book reports. But yes, I am here standing this morning, right? Even when I got saved, I had a hard time reading the Bible, little by little. And so for me to have discipline to sit and to listen to somebody, and yeah, I drive for my job quite a bit, so during the day I'm in the car, and so I do have that opportunity. But it's still hard to sit and listen to one person, right? So thank you for listening to me this morning, because I know that for me, it's sometimes it's difficult, right? But I had to make a change in my life. I had to change who I listened to. Even, you know, Kim and I, we used to watch news every single night. But how many of you know, you watch the news, even if it's a good news channel, you're still depressed when it's over, right? You're still like, the world's coming to an end. Let's sell our house. Let's run to Mexico. We're out of here, right? I mean, if you watch the news every single day, 
honestly, even if they're good news reporters, even if they have good things to say, you're still going to bed depressed, right? And so do you think, honestly, maybe taking a step back and saying, maybe I shouldn't watch news every night. Maybe I don't need to watch my favorite show every night. What kind of discipline do I need to make that change? The boys in this story, and I make this point, breakfast is ready, because they went fishing because they were what? Hungry. But what they didn't know, breakfast was already ready. Jesus had already prepared breakfast, and they spent all night toiling, laboring, working, sweating, when Jesus already had it prepared. And so this morning, the big thing is some of us were wasted energy. We're wasting time, strength, energy. When God's saying to you, it's all ready prepared. It's already done. It's just on the right side. You keep stuck on the left side, but it's on the right side. And if you would just stop looking to what you know and look to the right side, I already have breakfast for you. It is served. It is ready. He tells Peter, I want you to go and I want you to bring the fish. And I think he tells him that because he wanted him to count the fish. We know that there was 150, it was 153, 156 fish, right? And so for that one catch in one minute with one net and then it would not tear, what was it? It was a miracle. It was an absolute miracle. The amount of fish they caught in the net, it was a miracle. God does want to work miracles in our lives today, right? God wants to do miracles for you. God wants to do miracles for me. He is still a God who does miracles. But even though he's a God who does miracles, you know what he does? He also serves. Why does God serve his disciples? Why does God, why does God man, Jesus, why did he get down on his knees and wash the disciples' feet? Why did he die? Why did he come back to life? And why did here... Why did he serve them again? Because for many of us, how many of us at times, and especially, you know, obviously we go out to eat. We, some of us go out to eat because we want to be what? We want to be served, right? Some of us, we get married. Why? Because some of us want to be served, right? And so <laughs> it doesn't work like that, though, right? It doesn't work like that. No, it does not. But here's Jesus Christ, here's God, and making one of the greatest examples for us to follow. No matter who you are, no matter who you think you are, get down on your hands and knees and be a servant. If you want to really grow as a person, as a Christian, don't just talk about your Christianity, show it in your service. Show it in your service. And so I close with this verse this morning. As the story goes on, John 21, starting in... Verse 15, it says, after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, do you know I love you? Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know that I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. Verse 17, a third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked him the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my fish. And so this morning as we wrap up these closing thoughts, and everything up to this point is highlighted to this part right here. We know that Peter denied Jesus how many times? Three times. How many times did Jesus ask Peter, if you love, if you, do you love me? Three times. 
When Peter got to the shore, what was Jesus warming the fish on? A fire, right? What did Peter, where did he deny Jesus? It was by a what? It was by a fire. What was the question that Jesus was asking Peter? Do you love me? Will you do what I asked? And so the first thing that comes to mind is when Jesus and Peter first met, what did Jesus say to Peter? Leave the nets and come follow me. Where did he find Peter in this story? With what? The nets. What do we do when God tells us to do something? We're busy with our nets. And we're not busy with what he's called us to do. And so he says to Peter a few times, do you love me? Do you love me? And, and as he's saying that word love, it goes deeper every time he asks it. And he cuts Peter to the heart every single time he asks. So we see that the love in this story, as it accumulates to this point, is the greatest thing of it ever, right? And how is love defined? First Corinthians 13, it says this. If I could speak all the languages of the earth and angels but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such great faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I had to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But, even, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It doesn't demand its own way. It is not irritable, keeps no record of being wrong. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith. It is always hopeful. It endures through every single circumstance. As Peter and Jesus had this last conversation, what was he asking them? Will you love will you love what's the greatest thing that's going to change the world your love what what leads people to the king it's our love right kindness leads people to repentance is our love that great of an example you know as parents sometimes you know sometimes i fall short because sometimes i can be mean to my wife we've been married 25 years and we've had a few fights in our life right as married couples i'm sure if you're married in here, you've had a few fights, right? Joel, you've never had a fight? He's the other perfect one of the bunch here. But if you have kids, what kind of example do we set to our kids if we don't love? Peter asked him, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Feed my sheep. And so as we wrap up this morning, as we leave, here's the closing thoughts. You know, Jesus said that we're, we're a completely new creation in him, Right? Let go of your net and let God direct you to where he wants to go. Stop looking to the left and look to the right. That's where your blessings are. If we look, listen, and we look and listen for his voice, reward and blessing will follow. Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking, keep believing, and God will make a way from you. God will make a way for you where there seems to be no way. God still works. God is still here. This isn't old, right? The Bible is still fresh and alive, and it still is available for every one of us to pick up and read. Stand with me. We're going to close in a song, and we're going to pray.
My title this morning I mentioned was the Sunday after, right? And it's the Sunday after what? It's the Sunday after Resurrection Sunday. You see, many people <clears throat> will try out church and Resurrection Sunday. And many people, like Christmas and Easter, right? Resurrection Sunday, it's the two days of the year that people try out church. But it, it is important to go. And it's important to see. And it's important to listen. And it's important to be a part. But really what's important is what you do with the Sunday after. What's really important is what you do with the Sunday after. What's really important is what we continue to do, what he's put us here to do. Let's pray. God, we come to you this morning. We thank you for a beautiful day. God, we thank you for your grace again, your mercy. God, we thank you that you're here this morning. God, you're meeting with us. You're speaking to us through the word. God, we pray that the word of God would stick in our hearts today. God, that the word, God, that the story, the Peter, the fish, God, the clothes, jumping in, and John, the revelation, God, every single thing on the right side, not the left side. Everything about this story, everything that is in here, God, that you would speak loud and clear to our heart and minds this morning. So as we go out, God, we give you this week. God, we give you this week. We dedicate this week to you and pray, God, that this week would be better than it was last week. God, that you continue, be our coach to stretch us, to pull us. God, to expand our faith, to inspire us, that you'd help us to dig into the word of God, to grow this week more than we grew last week, to hear something different this week than we didn't hear last week. God, to read the scriptures from beginning to end to really dig into the word. And God, most importantly, help us to love. Help us to love. And help us to be the greatest example we can be by setting the tone with love. 